Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to another special episode of the Mark Gross Podcast. I come at you bi-weekly with subjects that are, you know, topical, that are going on in the world, that are going on in my mind, that I'm feeling called to share about. And I really only decide on what to talk about, really, the moment right before I hit record, which is a pretty cool experience. And I wanted to share a couple of things that I've been thinking about that have been coming up for me. One is that I've noticed that in my sharing on these special episodes, They've been really cathartic, you know, they've been this way of sort of exercising my shame, my my thought processes, being very vulnerable and open with you, and that having been celebrated and loved and received uh, very kindly. So I'm very grateful for you, for the time that you take to listen to me, to share my words to go and give me a review. I mean, all of those things I don't take lightly. I take as time is the one gift you give that you can't create more of. And that to me is an incredible privilege and honor. And I don't take it lightly. So I'm very grateful to be in your head, to be in your ear, to be in your car or wherever I am right now. So know that. The other side of it is I've noticed that in my shares that I experience emotion in them, that they're, they're, they really are, I can feel it coming up in my throat or in my eyes. And in a lot of ways that validates for me that the work works, that whatever I used to suppress or repress or depress is feeling safe to come out. And I can tell the parts of me that want to protect from the sadness or the emotion coming in my voice. And that's why I share it because you know, shame really thrives in secrecy. And when we start to hide parts of us and our feelings and they get suppressed or depressed, think about that depression, right? To depress something, to suppress an emotion that it builds tension in our bodies. It builds, we hold it in our jaws, we hold it in our backs, we hold it in our hips. And knowing that there's a safe space, oddly enough, to begin to feel the emotion come up and to observe it and watch it and 
give it permission. And that's a practice. I want you to know that. That's a practice. It's a practice to get to know yourself and your feelings and what feelings you have a hard time with and labeling feelings. And when I work with people and I say, how do you feel right now? And they say, I don't know. I'm like, you don't get to say, I don't know. You have to practice labeling it. I don't know is such a cop out to not take a risk, to take a leap, to say what you think is coming up for you. And the beautiful thing is, as soon as you label it, you can check in to see if you got it wrong. You can check it. Oh, was it anger that I'm feeling? No, it's sadness. Oh yeah, it is. Or it's grief or it's both. And you just check in with your body and it allows you to re-embody, to get back into your body. A lot of us live in our heads, you know? We are able to intellectualize feelings, to think about them. And just because we can label a feeling doesn't mean we're feeling it. But it does give us a sense of being able to put language to emotion. That's such a practice. I remember when I was first exploring, expressing on that level, and I remember my partner at the time would get reactive if I'd get the wrong word or said the wrong thing. And so, you know, what we cultivated through that is I said, I don't feel safe to explore these feelings with you. You know, like I have been socialized my whole life not to share emotion. And she had not. That was not her experience. And it's more, and I'm genderizing here in some way, but, and this might be different for you. So please allow space for that gray area, which men are not generally socialized to express their feelings and share them and sit in them. And women have, for the most part, been socialized to do that for most of their lives. So when we're trying to label something as men, it can be harder for us because we haven't had whatever age you are or we are. We haven't had that same amount of conditioning to say it's okay. Even when you look at how people treat a baby when they think it's a baby boy versus a baby girl, instantly from the moment of birth, they're treated differently. So this socialization is a real thing. And you know, when we're getting down more to the individual experience and not so much a genderizing or a gender-based experience, you can look at your own family history and go, okay, well, my family, what was emotion? How was it celebrated? How was it expressed? Was anger okay? Was conflict okay? Was love okay? Or did we only talk about the good things, you know, which is an, you know, an indirect message of saying it's not okay to have conflict or if your parents fought behind closed doors, you know, then you never watched conflict be resolved. You just thought there was none, or you might've heard them yelling, but you never really got to hear it and see it. And that's why when we protect our children from any form of conflict, we're not allowing them to learn how to navigate it. Now that's given the idea that we know how to, which is a learned skill. And so when we explore our feelings and our background and where we come from, there's this incredible opportunity to have compassion for the ways that we show up that maybe are not that productive or the way we react in conversation or when we're exploring, expressing our feelings, that we can have some compassion for the fact that all defense mechanisms, shutting down, withdrawing, getting angry, you know, all the different things we do, getting reactive, getting defensive, being critical, all of them are ways of protecting ourselves from being hurt. And the more I learn that I've upper limited love or not allowed myself to really be loved, till I had the realization that I didn't allow myself to be loved. The more I see that, the more I look at all the ways that I have limited it, the tricks that we come up with, with the subconscious or unconscious to not allow people closer to us. And we have so many and they can masquerade in so many ways. 
really what I wanted to talk about today is this experience of how we manage relational insecurity. And what I mean by that is, look, we when we look at attachment theory, which is based on research and it looks at how do we connect with our mom in the first couple of years in our life. And just so you know, that is how we connect with mom in the first couple of years of our life is correlated to how we connect with other people, how we attach to other people. So there's a great book called Attached and it's by a couple authors, one Amir Levine. And in that book, they talk about the science of attachment. They don't necessarily talk about uh, all the different ranges of it. So I'm going to cover a little more of that because I think this is really valuable information for everyone to have as a baseline. So when we look at the research, it's based on watching a mom, a baby playing in a room and a mom watching her child play. And mom leaves the room and mom comes back. And the observation of how that child attaches is based on how the baby responds to mom leaving and mom coming back. So the first type, mom leaves the room, mom comes back, baby is chaotic, upset, goes to mom, doesn't want to leave mom's side. So you can imagine the baby's thought is when mom leaves, she might not come back. So there's an, that's called anxious attachment. The next type is mom leaves, mom comes back, baby reunites with mom and then goes back to playing. So I trust that when mom leaves, she'll come back and I can go and live my own life and be secure, you know, as much as a baby can live its own life in that moment. So that's called secure attachment. Last one, mom leaves, mom comes back, baby's like, "Ah, I didn't even notice you were gone, like kind of nonchalant, like meh, whatever. But inside that baby's body, they're responding like the first child, the anxious child. So their physiology, you know, their higher heart rate, there's more cortisol, Um, they're sweating. I don't even know if babies sweat, but (laughs) I'll find out one day. So you can validate that if you're a parent listening. So we have three types there, right? Anxious and avoidant and secure. So the first thing we need to know is that anyone can change their attachment style. Anyone can. So if, you, if you're like, ah, oh, shit, I'm more anxious, and you would think about this, how does this organize as adults? We're either running after relationships, so we're chasing love, or we're running from love, or we stand still and we accept love. So chasing love is anxious, running from it is avoidant, and security is security, right? It's, and when you can think, the one defining characteristic of a secure relationship is my partner's needs matter as much as my own. Not more than my own, anxious, not less than my own, avoidant. So you can see how these all structure. Now, there's what, what you can see is that some of you might be thinking, gosh, I flip from chasing to then I get them and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if they like me. I don't know if they like me. And they're like, hey, I like you. And we're like, oh my God, I don't. And we get that feeling in our stomach. And then we run for the hills. So you might wonder why we can go from really wanting someone who doesn't seem to be available to getting them and then not wanting them. It's called anxious avoidance. So we flip-flop. And that's because when you look at it, there's either a secure relationship or an insecure one. How we express insecurity is either by anxiety or avoidance or both. That's why it's easy to flip-flop between the two because we're not actually changing our underlying way of attaching. So simply put, if any of this um, resonates with you, 
one of the quickest ways to begin to change your attachment style is to ask yourself before you make any choice in life, I don't care if it's relational or anything, if I was enough, what would I do? If I believed I was worthy of being loved and safe, what would I do? And then you choose that because it will contribute to your attachment. It will create security because you'll have your own back. And that's the most important work we can ever do in a relationship. So recognize that your attachment system, that's just called a system, is basically a radar that measures the safety and security of all connections, not just romantic. So if you're someone who is more prone to being anxious, so you get afraid someone where you fit, you don't know where you fit, you're afraid to talk about things, you're afraid that you love someone more than they love you. I identify with all this shit. So just so you know, it's normal to experience all this stuff. If you identify more as that, then you're probably way more attuned and sensitive to changes in the connection security in like, oh, they haven't messaged me in a bit. You're much more sensitive to those things. And even the research shows that people who are more anxiously attached pay attention to more facial cues that convey that there potentially isn't safety or being chosen. So isn't that fascinating? Because look what happens. Anxious people tend to date avoidant people and avoidant people tend to date anxious people. Why? Because it validates their view of the world. So an anxious person is, whenever I care about people, they tend to not be available. They tend to run from me. Oh, well, welcome Mr. or Mrs. Avoidant person or an avoidant human who all of a sudden is now avoidant. And they're saying, when I like people, they care too much. They want too much. They need too much. Wow, right? Like validation of each other's stories. Um, So really, when you think about it, an anxious person is terrified of they're not when there's too much space between us and another. An avoidant person is terrified when there's not enough space between us and another. So I like when I'm working with someone to express to them, think about what is your relationship to space, not to the other person. Stop making it about the other person. Make it about the space between you and another person. Because if you want someone to show up for you and to step forward and into your life, How can they do that if there's no space for them to step into? And that's why when we want someone to show up for us and we're more of a chaser, we often don't want to do the work to take a step back to allow someone to step into because we get too anxious. Well, that's our healing. That's our healing is knowing that we have our own back in that space and whether they choose to step into it does not determine whether we're lovable. And this is because we've placed our self-worth in whether someone chooses us. This is what society has validated. If you're in a relationship, then that means someone confirmed that you're worthy of being chosen and loved. And I'm saying, shift that and instead move to the space of, if I have my back and I choose me, then it doesn't matter what someone else does. Because I choose me. I take away the job of someone else to validate me. I validate myself which doesn't mean I'm not available. It just means that I don't need you to prove to me that I'm lovable. I'm lovable because I express myself. I ask for what I need. This is all growth, my friends. This stuff isn't easy. (laughs) I've been doing this stuff and learning it and growing and expanding in it. Frick, for the last 13 years, since I first began asking the questions about relationship. 
So know that if it feels scary, that means you're on the right track. If it feels, you know, like, like it requires an immense amount of courage, you're on the right track. I always love that line from the movie. I think it's from Zootopia or Build a Zoo or one of those. And it's that everybody is capable of 10 seconds of absolute courage. And all it takes is 10 seconds to change your life. Just 10 seconds of just absolute courage to have that conversation, to say that thing, to end that thing, to just be courageous. And courage only exists where there is fear present. I believe Brene Brown probably said that. It sounds like a Brene Brownism. Courage is only present in when fear is present. And we are all capable of that. Man, is it scary to have hard conversations. I'll tell you, there's a big shift we can go in in our lives when we go from having conversations because we have to, because we waited till the last fucking minute, to choosing to have hard conversations, to choosing to say things, to choosing to show up. I know that the first evolution for me was going to the place of having to. (laughs) I have to have this conversation now. And that next step is choosing to. I choose to because it's coming up for me. And I want to acknowledge what's coming up for me. And me bringing it up is about how much I care about myself. But it's also about calling someone forward into the space that they're capable of being in so they can learn how to love us. You know, it's pretty complicated being one human being, let alone being two and trying to merge those lives into a shared story. And I think a lot of times we wake up within a relationship realizing we haven't really lived our own story, realizing that we haven't fully protected and honored our own individuality. And so when we wake up in a relationship, especially one that we started when we were really young, and really young can be whatever is relevant for you. And then we wake up later in that relationship and we say, I forgot about me. I forgot about what I wanted and who I am and what's important to me. And then often we blame the relationship for that, which don't get me wrong. Sometimes um, our partners are not celebratory of our freedom and our desires and our growth. But let me also add that caveat that it's often because they're afraid of losing us, that we will grow away from them. And so it's easier to begin a relationship celebrating individuality and celebrating this space of acknowledging each other's desires and growing and dreams and all those things. But it's a whole other thing to wake up within a relationship that was created from a space that was totally different and grow and expand together, acknowledging that it's scary, acknowledging that we might lose each other, acknowledging just that that fear exists. I remember meeting this woman after a talk I did at Wanderlust in Mont-Tremblant in, um, in Quebec. And I remember her saying to me, like, my husband started biking and he started doing all these things. And, you know, I just, he does, I, he doesn't realize that he's not, you know, focusing as much on us. And, you know, to the surface of that, most of us would say, yeah, like he's withdrawn, he's not focused, he's not caring, he's not. But when we got down to it, we had, you know, a longer conversation than what I'm sharing now, realized that him choosing himself and showing up for himself and his passions was scaring her because she was afraid he would leave her. And it was scaring her because she had never chosen herself and her own passions. So instead of embracing the celebration of self, she wanted to restrict and compress his celebration of self. 
because she didn't understand it. As soon as she had that awareness, she was like, light bulbs were on and she was like, holy shit. And so that doesn't mean that that's always true. Sometimes, you know, the person is growing away from us. And look, I'm a big believer that you can never suppress your growth for your partner. You can, you can hold, but you can't suppress it. You can't contain it. You can't play small for love because you'll resent your partner. And the first piece of evidence that you're not honoring yourself and you have bad boundaries is when you have resentment. Wherever there is resentment, normally I'd say 99% of the time, but 100% of the time, I'm saying 100. If you don't like it, too bad, because I'm act, I know I'm right here. I, don't, I do like being right. I'm not often always right. And so I have to remember that, you know, when I'm like, do I want to be connected here or right? I want to be connected. Okay. But in the context of this, 100% of the time, whenever you are resentful, it's because you make something else more important than yourself. It is a good sign that you're not prioritizing yourself and you need a boundary wherever that is. Now, often when we want to choose ourselves and create security in relationships, you know, and, and really monitor that attachment system is we're afraid of actually expressing what we need. And I want you to know that that's normal. It's very common for people to not know how to express what they need. And that's because as children, often let's imagine that you had a parent who was an alcoholic or angry or detached or narcissistic or not home, not available, working a lot, or you had someone in your family who had a chronic illness. Whenever there's someone who takes a large percentage of the attention of the family in whatever capacity, it means that we don't fully develop our own values and our own needs because everyone was focused on that other person. And if we were to have needs, no one would listen. We might be called selfish. You know, we might be, you know, shamed for that. Or if someone's not around and there's no one there for us and we're taking care of our younger siblings or we're having to adult young, then we have a really hard time expressing our needs as well because no one would have listened. It wasn't about us, you know? And so when we become adults and we have to share expectations and needs and really step into this vulnerable space from a space of vulnerability and compassion and being connected to our hearts, not bulldozing, not demanding, not being harsh, not withdrawing, not shutting down. Those are all the child's way of getting their needs met. If I shut down, you'll come ask me what I want. If I get angry with you, you'll see my pain and you'll be more compassionate instead of actually declaring and standing in that space, not chasing, not running from and holding still. And coming back to what I said before, which is check in with your relationship with space, make a declaration and invite, but don't lose yourself in the chasing of someone else and don't put someone else's needs and make them more important than your own. So this is all very important stuff to just to begin to consider. You know, I think one of the most challenging things is to be afraid of love and to be afraid of someone loving us and not knowing how to step towards them. I think the majority of the people who read personal growth books or read relational books or follow me on Instagram tend to be more anxious. They tend to be the one wanting to learn more, wanting to step towards, wanting to, you know, figure out relationship and love and, you know, all those types of things. But one of the hardest things to do is to actually step towards love when we're afraid of it, you know, to actually move towards it. And so I invite you to finish a couple sentences 
One is, when I love people, they. Finish that sentence. And the other one, when I let people love me, they. The reason those are both important is that you'll discover what your upper limits are in love. You'll discover what you're afraid of. Often people will be like, oh, when I love people, they love me back. Sure, sometimes. But I want to know what's the pain below that. What's the truth? And when you can discover what your upper limit is, then you can see all the different ways you sabotage. We all do. Some of us do it by choosing partners who aren't available. We start fights when there aren't any. Right before we're about to open our hearts and be deeper in love with someone or receive more love, we figure out a way to fuck it up, to lose it, to leave it. We cheat. We do tons of different things. We push them away so they cheat. We have all these different strategies. So when you know your upper limit, you can begin to acknowledge it and look for all the tricks and the ways in which you avoid that. And that's because, and this is what I did. Mine was, when I let people love me, they betray me, they lie to me, they hurt me, they cheat on me. And I had so many strategies to not let anyone love me. But when I started to acknowledge that, I was able to see all these different ways I was doing that and to see what I was missing out on. And that's because we associate pain with love. And so we think that the path always leads to what was. But what happens is, is we keep creating that story with our sabotage, with our pain, with our fear. We keep actually recreating it and ending up alone and ending up in the same stories over and over, not realizing that in the pain, in the pain where we've been hurt in the past is the wisdom to move through that, the wisdom to grow and build a different behavior set that at least mitigates or prevents us from getting to the same place. Like if we got to a place because we never shared our voice, if we got to a place because we were overtly aggressive or demanding or unkind, if we keep getting to these places because we didn't recognize what we had, whatever, in all of it is this invitation for mastery, this invitation for us to build a skill set that changes the outcome. And that's what is so fascinating about it is in all pain is this beautiful transformational information. But we're so busy being stuck in the old story that we end up being a prisoner to it. And I don't want you to end up there. I've been there. It sucks. It sucks a lot. And it shows up in so many different subtle ways. So I just want you to know that it's normal and human to keep seeing ways that we prevent ourselves from being open, from allowing ourselves to have the job we love, from allowing ourselves to live in the place we want to live, to allowing ourselves to have friends who care and are supportive. All of it comes back to what we believe we're worthy of and what we're afraid of, and is it running our lives? The really cool thing that I found fascinating, you might not as much as me, (laughs) but you will eventually, I promise, is that I recognize that the more I love, the more I'm open to pain. And what I mean by that is, whenever you love someone, you are signing a contract at the same time that you are open to the pain of losing them. And that takes the acknowledgement and the awareness of the pain we've experienced so we can be compassionate towards it and be show grace to it. You know, just be graceful. I really think a lot about that, that this demonstration of grace to ourselves is to grow from what has hurt us. That is actually looking at the pain and growing from it. Growth is grace. And in that experience of expansion and knowing that Your heart can be open and loving and in a a weird way, 
It's breaking at the same time. And I never would have known this previously when I was, you know, 16 and heartbroken, that I'd get through it, that I'd learn from it, that I'd be better. You know, sad music just kept playing and I'd listen to Boys to Men into the road and yeah, I was sad. Thank God Adele didn't exist then. Shit, I don't know what I would have done. But now when I've experienced a relationship ending previously, I've literally been able to sit in it and say, what have you taught me? Why are you here? What is the gift? While my heart is breaking, while I am losing someone, while I'm gaining me, while I'm learning, and I ask myself all the time in those states, where did I take a left when I should have taken a right? Where did I lose me to keep them? Where did I forget about me? Where did I make their needs more important than my own? And you start to realize that relationships are all about learning. They're about claiming our story. They're about figuring out who we are. They're about figuring out what we value. I was saying before that if we didn't have our needs or values recognized as kids because no one would have listened, a good way to figure out what you value is to just look at who you admire because who you admire is what you value because you admire it in them and you want it in yourself. It's a beautiful thing. So I hope that's helpful. I just wanted to rattle off about a bunch of stuff that has been on my mind. I want you to know that you can change how you show up to relationship. You can learn how to receive love if you're afraid and you run from love. Know that you can learn how to step towards it. It's just that when you get close to love, you have to have boundaries around it. You know, you have to know that you have your own back no matter what side you are on the attachment scale. Just remember to come back to if I loved me, if I was enough, if I was worthy, what would I do and do that thing? And that sometimes means doing terrifying things like using our voice, claiming our story, standing up for ourselves, leaving something, starting something, and just getting really clear on who we are. So, man, I hope you're having the best day and I hope this was helpful for you. And as always, if you have any subjects you'd like me to cover, just fire me an email at info at markgroves.tv, like television. And if you're going through a breakup and you're having a hard time letting it go, I have created a program that is specifically for that. Like if someone's still on your mind and they're in on your mind when you're in a new relationship, that's often a form of self-sabotage, not allowing ourselves to love. So we hold on to an old story. Uh, but this program is called the Breakup Recovery Course, and it's all about taking you through the steps that you need to go through. Uh, I, I built it from the perspective of like going through the five stages of grief and at the same time using uh, grief as expansion and growth so that we grow, grieve and we grow at the same time and we learn how to create closure and end old stories so we can continue writing the one we're in. So all you have to do if you want to find out more about that and sign up, it's five weeks, it's all automated, you can start whenever. Just go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash breakup rebirth. So B-I-T dot L-Y slash B-R-E-A-K-U-P-R-E-B-I-R-T-H, breakup rebirth, bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. Go sign up there. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, please share it and go wherever you listen to it and leave me a five-star review and a written review. That'd be really helpful. I hope you have the most wonderful day. 
Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.